with the Lord's help, we'll finish this chapter today, John chapter 14, and that's page 1026 in the Simplified, if you need that page number. Um, I hope you had a good um, Christmas season. The Sumbiaks flew home on Thursday. They did arrive safely, and um, they did ask me to ask the church to pray for them in their country. They have some elections in February and then a final election in June. And they are concerned. It's a Muslim nation, and um, more and more they're seeing radicalizing and, and just um, concerning things in their home country. So let's remember the Sumbiaks in our prayers. And I've heard of several that are feeling sick today and not well, and um, we pray for these, remember these in our prayers. Um, you know, there's that thing called the holiday hangovers, right? Too much sugar cookies and staying up late at night, and, and sometimes you start to not feel well. We're going to read in John 14 and verse 22 down to the end, verse 31. And if you're able to stand, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 14, beginning in verse number 22. And the Bible says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my sayings. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things." And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. I leave peace with you. I give to you my peace. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. You have heard how I said to you, I go away and come again to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. From now on I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world comes and has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and we rejoice in your word today. We give thanks for the truth that is found in it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in our hearts. Pray that you will take this truth and lead people to a closer walk with you, lead lost souls to salvation. We ask that you would be exalted and may we learn to grow in, in obedience, to grow in peace, to grow in our trust of you. And uh, we look forward to how you'll use this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Maybe you have received a gift recently. Perhaps you've received a gift. And um, I want you to imagine receiving a nicely wrapped gift with a bow on top. And I want you to imagine looking at that gift and saying, hmm. And then handing it back to the person that gave it to you and saying, I'm not interested. 
right? That would be quite offensive, wouldn't it? And usually it's quite foolish because you don't know what's inside it anyway, right? But that would be quite offensive, returning the gift unopened. Who would do such a crazy thing? You know, what sometimes happens is that you open the gift and you look at it and you say, oh, thank you very much. And then you go maybe put it on a shelf or you put it in your closet or you put it somewhere and there it sits for years to come. Have you ever had someone ask you like several months, hey, have you used that, whatever it is, have you read that book yet? Have you used that jam I got you? Have you fill in the blank? And you have to ashamedly say, you know, actually, um, I haven't. I haven't yet, but, you know, I, I will. Um, that's a tough place to be. Well, I want to point out to you verse 27. I leave peace with you. I give to you my peace. I do not give to you as the world gives. There's a gift that Jesus offers us, and that is the gift of peace. And it is ours in Christ, and to not use it is, is very foolish, but it is also a rejection of his work for us. So we're going to focus a lot of our time on verse 27, um, but we're going to work through each of these verses here and just uh, bring, by God's help, a clear understanding. Um, looking back through the passage, we've seen a question from Thomas, famous question, where are you going, how can we know the way? Then Philip asks a question in verse 8. Here in verse 22, we have another disciple asking another question. Judas, not Iscariot. All right, so this guy is uh, also known as Thaddeus. And I guess if I had the name Judas, I'd probably go with Thaddeus as well. Um, but he is listed. There's, there's four times that all 12 apostles are listed. And um, two times it uses the term Judas and two times it uses the term Thaddeus. And so um, John records him as Judas, and he's very quick to say, not Iscariot. And he says, he asked him, or he said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? So for verse 22, I just call this privacy. And Judas is asking a clarifying question, and it's simply this. Um, if you could, there we go, privacy. Judas says, how is it you're going to show yourself to us, but you're not going to show yourself to the world? You know, how's that going to work? Because currently you've been showing yourself to everyone and now you're saying that in this new paradigm that you're going to show yourself to us, but you will not show yourself to the world. And it was a bit of a head scratcher for, for him. How, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be? And as Jesus answers the question, we, we discover that Jesus is clear that his coming and his working and his presence in this new paradigm, this new time is not physical. It's not physical. Now, there was a very short period of time after the resurrection where Jesus did appear to the disciples and to those who believed in him. I think um, if we look in, in Corinthians, it says there was over 500 people that saw him, but that was a gathering of believers. And, uh, and so Jesus did appear, but apparently only to those who were his. And then the Bible says that he ascended to heaven. And it was after he ascended to heaven that he sent the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. So Jesus is, is, is answering his, Judas's question by saying this, I will manifest myself. I will reveal myself. I will be present, but not perhaps in the way that you think. So I call this the privacy there. Look in verse 23. We see this uh, pattern, and this is a pattern of how he will be displayed and how his presence will be known and experienced. So beginning there in verse 23, 
Jesus answered and said to him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. Notice this. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my sayings. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here we see what I call the pattern. And this is the pattern that Jesus is laying out of how people experience his presence. Timothy, if you could give us verse 23. This pattern is Jesus saying there's, there's a, a, a layout of how this works. A man will love me, he will keep my words, and then we will make our abode with him. Well, I think what Jesus is laying out is a simple, um, maybe a really broad uh, plan of salvation, if you will. First, you have to hear of Jesus, to know of him, and once you are aware of his work, um, you, you love that, and then it says, he keeps my words. Well, that sounds like complete obedience, doesn't it? But I, I think if you follow the, the chain and other scriptures and kind of put together what Jesus is saying, he's saying, well, you have to know me, you have to love me, then you have to receive my sayings, and then I will come and abide with him. And he doesn't say, I will come, but he actually says, we will come. So when is a person indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Well, it is at salvation that they receive the Holy Spirit. And so I understand him to be saying you have to know the truth, you have to receive it and believe it, and then the Holy Spirit comes. Now we do know that the more you obey and the more you love the Lord, the stronger the sense of that presence of the Spirit is. And the more you disobey and the less you love the Lord, the weaker the impact of that presence, but it is there nonetheless. Notice how Jesus says in verse 23, we will come to him. Who is the we? Well, you might be tempted to think that it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but in context, it's talking about the Father and the Son. And um, because it says, if a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. All right? So, Jesus and the Father come to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you know, I think it's said of Jesus in Colossians chapter 2, in him that is in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So every aspect of God is present in Christ in a bodily fashion. But the same truth of Christ is true of the Holy Spirit. We could say the same thing. All the fullness of the Godhead, what's the word we can't say? Bodily. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. He is a spirit. So in that sense, there is a distinction between the Spirit and Christ. But all the fullness of the Godhead is present in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, look, if you will love me, if you will keep my sayings, if you'll know my word, if you'll believe what I say, we will come to you, we will live with you, and you will not be alone. And so he explains how he's going to reveal himself to them, but not to the world. Okay, so right now, Jesus cannot be seen by the world, can he? They can, they'll say things like this. Well, if God would show up and appear to me, then I will believe him, right? But is there a sense in which Jesus appears to the world today? How does Jesus appear to the world today? He appears to the world through the lives of his children. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he, in another verse, he says, ye are the light of the world, right? Well, how does that work? Jesus also said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And so what happened is, is that Christ ascended to heaven, and fifth, uh, ten days after his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes, and with him is the Spirit of God, just as much as the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the Father. They are all resident within us. And the lost world does not see Jesus physically, but they see him in our life, in our love, in the way we, we uh, live on this world. And so Jesus is making clear how it is he will reveal himself to the disciples, but not to the world. Um, we know Christ in a way that the world does not. They know of him. They've heard of him. But we know Christ in a personal and a real way. Just one more quick point here. When it says we will come to him, that's a clear, clear statement of the deity of Christ. I mean, if Jesus is not God, how then does he say we will come to him? Right? If God the Father comes and Christ is somehow not God, how is it that he can join in with the Father in a spiritual sense and yet not be a true God, right? No, there is one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one. And so he includes himself. He says, we will come to him. All right, look at verse 24. This is the contrast. He who does not love me does not keep my sayings. And it's interesting how he does not continue on. So verse 23, we see some parallel, right? If a man loves me, right? Verse 24, he who does not love me. Verse 23, he will keep my words. Verse 24, he does not keep my sayings, right? And then it says, my father will love him and we will come to him. And it does not say, my father will not love him, we will not come to him. It, it kind of stops there. And I believe Jesus is just phrasing it this way because there are sadly some believers that don't fully love the Lord and, and they don't obey and, um, and so he's not going to say we're not going to reside in them because the Bible is very clear that in the Spirit, the Spirit dwells all believers, sadly, even those who disobey the Lord. All right, moving on to verse 25. Um, and actually the end of verse 24, we want to pick that up with verse 25. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So in verse 24 and into verse 25, he begins to explain this word and where it comes from. So um, this power is what I call it. And he says in verse 24, the word that I speak is, how does he phrase it? The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus says, look, the things that I'm saying, that's the Father, what he's told me to say. But if you look at verse 25, he goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you being yet present with you. Okay. Verse 26, but the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to remembrance all, the, all things that I have said to you. So we have Jesus saying, I'm speaking the words of the Father. And then he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to tell you and remind you the things that I said. And what, what we see here is a, a link, if you will, between all the Trinity working in harmony, working in union, never ever opposed the one to the other, but full and complete union and harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, so that's not, that's not too hard to grasp, but let's remind, let's remind ourselves of a couple things. There are people today that say, I minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or they'll say things like, you want to find someone that has the Holy Spirit written all over him. 
And that's the kind of ministry you want to be under. Well, the, a good question to ask is, well, how do you judge that? How do you know that someone has the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, one manifestation that we know from this scripture right here is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit will speak of Jesus, will point to Jesus, will give the glory to Jesus. Um, in contrast to that, there are people who make a lot of noise and a lot of um, sounds, and sometimes they'll do things like uh, shout, they'll roll, sometimes they'll run, or they'll even roll in the aisle sometimes, and um, in more extreme things, they'll bark like dogs and shake and things, and they'll say, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I've got to be honest with you. When I view someone writhing on the ground or dancing in circles, I don't look at that and say, man, that reminds me of Jesus. That just makes me think of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it makes me think of? What is wrong with them? What is going on there, right? And what we find is the Bible saying, if the Holy Spirit's working, he's pointing people to Jesus. He's lifting up Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus, sharing the words that Jesus shared. And so it's important in our day and time to be aware of a, a true and an accurate uh, working of the Holy Spirit and then a false or a, a um, incorrect and not true manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other things we could say on that, but I just pointed out that he says here very clearly, the Holy Spirit will say the things that I have said. He will remind you of the things that I have said. There's another important application here of this one. And there's a specific application to the disciples and then a broader application to all of God's children. Notice he uses that word comforter again, the comforter. Do you remember how we talked about the comforter? I know it's been a few, about four weeks ago now with some of the Christmas sermons and things. But we talked about that word comforter. And the comforter is that one who is beside us, the one called to the side of. And the idea is that person who is calling them to their side needs some help. And, um, and the, per the, the comforter then, um, maybe we could call him the helper, comes to the side of to help. Now earlier, it spoke of the comforter as someone that um, brought peace and would, would calm them and that sort of thing. Very much that idea of comfort, right? Here, notice what the comforter does. Notice what he does. He shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. These are the two promises. And I might just say that some of us would like to say, I claim that promise that the Lord would bring to mind all things that Jesus said. But i got to be honest, I don't always remember everything that Jesus said, right? So uh, the application here is not so much in a complete, uh, you know, full memory per se, but this is a promise for those disciples because at this moment, remember, they're fearful. Jesus is going away. Oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to be without Jesus. This is going to be awful. There's no way this could be good or right or this is all wrong. And he says, hold on a minute. The Spirit is going to remind you of everything that I said. Now, what kind of application would that have? Well, that would be very important for preaching and teaching the Word of God. But having referenced the Word of God, that is what gives us an assurance that what they wrote in the New Testament is accurate. And some people will say, oh, well, you know how it is. If you have a car accident and you have five witnesses... Uh, they, all, they all see the same accident, but they say different things and they misremember things. And, you know, you can, you can give people two weeks and they're going to start remembering details incorrectly and so on and so on. You ever heard something like that? 
Well, that's true in, in general, but here there's a promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come beside them, stand beside them, and He is going to teach them the same things Jesus taught, and He's going to remind them of the things that Jesus said. And so when they, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote out these New Testament accounts, and when Mark interviewed Peter and said, hey, what happened there, Peter? How, how was that? And how did that feel? And what did Jesus say? Peter is speaking and he's remembering exactly what Jesus said. Not just sort of a you know, general summary, but he's able to give exactly what Jesus said. How? Because the Holy Spirit, as promised, was bringing all things to remembrance and was teaching the same things that Jesus said. And what that gives us is, is an assurance that when Peter and, and Mark sat down and wrote the book of Mark together, that's just one example, John is another that we're reading right now, that they are recording accurately what happened when Christ was on earth. So there's uh, a lot that we could say. We, we want to move now quickly on to verse 27. This is where I'd like to spend some time this morning. Jesus tells them this, I leave peace with you. I give to you my peace. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. It sounds That last part of the verse sounds very familiar, does it not? Very, very familiar because if you look at verse 1, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And you say, oh yeah, Jesus already said that. And here he says it again, do not let your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. Jesus says instead of that, we should have and live in Peace. Peace. I want to talk about fear for a minute first, and then we'll talk about peace. He says, don't let it be afraid. Your heart be troubled, your heart be afraid. A troubled heart is a heart that is uncertain, that is unstable, a heart that is pulled in different directions, a heart that is not able to process and handle what is happening currently. And it's very easy to get there as we distance ourselves from Christ to have a troubled heart, an unsettled, an uncertain heart. Then it says, or let it be afraid. A fearful heart is, is cowardly or timid. It is shrinking back. It is running away. It is turning away, unable to face up to what is in front of the person. This phrase afraid reminds me of 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And so Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. You know, I just want to remind us that within that, there's, uh, <laughs> there's some responsibility, isn't it? You, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, sometimes we like to think that we are just a slave to circumstance. And the reason our heart is troubled is because of the circumstance we find ourselves in. Right? Lord, if I wasn't in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm, I wouldn't be troubled. Right? Uh, Lord, if you didn't allow this horrible thing to happen, then my heart wouldn't be troubled. But Jesus doesn't say it that way. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you per perfect circumstances so your heart will never be troubled. That's not what he says. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, I'm responsible for my heart. I'm responsible for my responses to things. 
And my, a response of fear and a response of being troubled is not the right response. Now, I'm thankful you might be sitting here saying, Pastor John, um, you know, that, that challenges my thinking a little bit, but it also kind of disturbs me because you're telling me I just have to, to man up and just try harder and, and just sort of make my heart do. What if I can't make my heart do what, what I need to make it do? What if it is afraid? Well, that leads us back to the first part of verse 27, doesn't it? And Jesus has given us what we need to keep our hearts from being troubled. You know, when he talks about peace here, um, I, I want to talk about peace in, in the worldly concept of peace in their world and our world, and then we'll talk about how peace has power over fear. You know, in their day and time, the Jews would say shalom as a greeting and as a departure. They would say shalom, which means peace. Um, I remember years ago, um, I went to a Catholic funeral. It was my best friend's grandfather passed away. He was a Catholic, and I remember going to this Catholic service. Never been in a Catholic church in my life, you know, and some different things were a little weird, a little strange. Well, I remember at some part of the service, they said something, and people began going around shaking hands and saying, peace be with you, peace be with you. And I thought, oh boy, what is this? Peace be with you, peace be with you. Well, you know, it's one thing for, um, you know, your neighbor or Bill across the street or a friend to say the words, peace be with you. But that doesn't mean that you have peace with you just because they say that, right? Um, it's sort of like the word goodbye, a lot of us don't realize this or we don't always think it through, but goodbye is a shortened form of God be with you. God be with you is the idea. So good and God, God became good, and then be, B-E, Y-E, God be ye. And it turned into goodbye as a shortened form. And they put it all in one word. Instead of God be with you, it just became goodbye. Well, you know, so if someone says God be with you, uh, okay, that phrase itself doesn't have power to make something happen, right? But they are trying to say something when they say that. And what, I point, what I'm pointing out is that the world um, and people can try to say things that are nice, but they don't actually have the power to make it happen, right? They don't have the power, you know, some people say, just speak and it shall be done. Well, the only person that can speak and it shall be done is who? God Almighty, right? Now, we can speak and it might be done, um, but when the Lord speaks, it is true, and it will be done. And so there's the people and their sayings, like the Greeks. The Greeks used the word peace. They had this word in their language in the secular world, and you know what it meant for them? It meant that there wasn't any wars going on, right? And we might kind of understand that concept, right? Because people say, we want peace in the world, we want peace in the Middle East. When they say they want peace in the Middle East, what most people mean is just people not killing themselves and, and battle and war. Um, and so here Jesus says, I leave peace with you. I give to you my peace. I do not give to you as the world gives. So he says, the world gives you a certain sort of peace. That's not at all what I'm giving you. And, and people can say their, their words to you, but that's not, how, that's not my words. <laughs> my peace is, is different than the world's peace. My ability to bring about peace is different than just people saying. And so Jesus says, I give peace to you. Question, have you received the gift of God's peace? He's given the gift. It's up to us to open and unwrap it and, and pull it out of the closet and use it. God's peace. Now you might say, Pastor John, I, I, 
I just have a troubled heart. I mean, I'm, I'm full of fear. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I try. I, I sort of, you know, I, I try to sing or I try to do this or that. But it seems like that fear just keeps coming back. It just keeps coming up. Well, sometimes God gives us this gift of peace to meet <laughs> the battle and the temptation of fear and doubt. And, and that is what we use in the battle. And so it doesn't mean that uh, there will never be any challenge, but it, it does mean that we have victory. We have the ability to overcome fear. Fear can be very paralyzing. It can cause us to not think rationally. It can cause us to overthink things. Fear can cause us to get off the path God wants for us. Fear can cause us to shrink back from living the full life that God intends for us. And Jesus says to these disciples, and just, just try to put yourself in their shoes, Jesus is going away. Things will be forever different for them. They had had three years with Jesus, and they wanted to have 30 years with Jesus. They had had three years with Jesus, and they probably figured he would be there until they died. And now they're learning he's going away. And he tried to tell them before, but it wasn't sinking in. And now it's starting to sink in a little bit. And they're getting worried. They're getting fearful. And he says, hold up, hold up. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. I give you peace. My peace. Not an empty, just words, here today, gone tomorrow sort of peace that the world talks about. But I give you my peace. The world, they think of peace often as uh, Wearsby said it this way, the world bases its peace on its resources, but God's peace depends on relationship. And that is so true. What many people in this world try to build when they build peace is they, they sort of, um, they, they have lots of money in the bank and they have stable health and these different things they try to make happen, right? And you know, everyone that tries to build their own little piece of peace, maybe I should use a different word, their own little portion of peace. You know what happens is they build it and then eventually it gets ruined. I mean, it's like a sandcastle at the beach. I was reminded of that this week. Kids build a sandcastle. Oh, how nice. You got the shells. Beautiful, right? Come back the next day. Gone. And people, they, they spend sometimes great portions of their life trying to build wealth and to build health and to put all the, the elements of their life in order so that ah, everything is okay. And then pretty soon, it's not okay. Because it can't be maintained, it can't be kept. But the Bible says that in Christ, we have a relationship with Him. The Bible tells me in Romans chapter 5, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the, the cornerstone and the headstone and the center portion of peace is this. God is no longer angry at me because my sins are forgiven. They're under the blood of Jesus and therefore, God is my friend and he is not my enemy. Just that truth has the ability to transform a person's life from fear to peace. Now, I know that you build out from that, right? That's not the be-all, end-all, but that is the center column. I mean, that is the anchor column in this thing of peace that Jesus gives. And he says to these disciples, I give you peace. You have a God who looks down and smiles on you. You have a God that can order your life. He can protect you. He can step in and change if he so chooses. And if he allows trouble and trial, you can have peace in the middle of the storm. Do you remember what Jesus did when, when uh, the disciples are so fearful 
you remember they were out on the, the Sea of Galilee? They were in the storm. And do you remember that in one of the accounts, it happened more than once, in one of the accounts, what is Jesus doing during the storm? He's sleeping on a pillow. Now, I think that just shows a huge contrast because Jesus and the disciples were in the same storm. They were together. They were not separate. They were together. And Jesus is sleeping on a pillow, and they are fearful as can be. But they're in the same storm, right? They're in the exact same storm. And Jesus is sleeping like a baby, and they're going, ah, we're going to die. Same storm. And do you know that Jesus goes with you through your storms? The Bible says he is ever with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even when uh, Paul was on the road to Damascus, do you remember what the voice said? He says, who art thou, Lord? And the answer is, it is Jesus whom thou persecutest. Well, Paul was persecuting Christians, wasn't he? But Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And what does that mean? Jesus walks with us through our pain. Jesus walks with us through our trial. He is with us. But you know what? He's not afraid. Jesus is never afraid. And he is with us. And so Jesus sleeps on the pillow, and the disciples say, ah, we're all going to die. And then they wake up Jesus, and Jesus says, peace, be still. And the storm ceased. Now that's how he chose to end that one. But you know what he could have also said? I'll get you to the other side. I'm in this boat. We'll go through it together. But either way you cut it, there, was, there could be peace. Peace was available to those disciples. Sometimes we learn, sometimes it takes some, some effort, but with Christ, we can always have peace. A quick question for you today is, do you have peace? We're wrapping up 2023, tomorrow starts a new year, and our world will uh, have their list of things they're going to do better, do different. And you might should have your own list, I'm not saying they're a bad thing. But oftentimes for, for many of the worldly folks, it's make more money, lose more weight, and cut negative people out of my life. You know, that's kind of their New Year's resolution. But as believers, I wonder if you need a New Year's resolution that says, I will walk in the peace of God. I will embrace this gift of God and I will learn to grow in peace. If, we are all, if our heart is always in turmoil, if we are full of fear, we are like the guy who has a snowblower but looks out at the snow. This is a bad illustration for Charlotte folks, I say. But uh, he's got 12 inches of snow and he has a snowblower right in the garage and he says, well, whatever shall I do? Whatever shall I do? Here's all this snow. Whatever shall I do? There's a snowblower and it has the ability to push all that snow out of the way and move on with your life. And God's peace is the same way. We as his children, sometimes when we fear and we fret, and I can count myself right in that category. I've been there. I don't preach to you as one who has never feared or does not struggle with fear. But you know what it is, is we have this peace sitting on our, the shelf of our life. And God just says, come, take it, turn it on, let it do its work. And you do not have to be ruled and reigned by whatever comes into your life. Some people predict the new year will have trouble. There'll be war, there'll be famine, there'll be this and economy and uh, politics and the worst is about to happen. And you know what? They could be true, and they could not be true. We don't know what will happen. But you know what we know as believers? We have a gift, the gift of peace. We don't have to be ruled and reigned by the circumstances. We have the Lord Jesus within our hearts. And so this year, church, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be afraid. You have the peace of Jesus.
Very quickly, verse 28. You have heard how I said to you, I go away and come again to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Verse 29, oh, I'm sorry, verse 28, we have a, a two parts to this. First, his parting, verse 28a, and this is Jesus simply saying that he is going away, and he reminds them of this, and they have heard that he's going away and that he will come again. Timothy, if you could give us verse 28a, his parting. And then right after that, at the end of the verse, he says, I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now, this is a difficult uh, phrase, but when Jesus, at the end of verse 28, in 28b, he says, I go to my Father. Okay, no problem there. Then he says, my Father is greater than I. Oh, hold on a minute. What, what is being said here? Jesus is saying the Father is greater than he is. And, of course, those who don't like the Trinity or don't believe the Trinity love to just run to this verse and ignore every other one. Because they say, see, see, look here, look here. Jesus can't be God because he said, my Father is greater than I. Um, there's two ways to understand this. One is that this is just a temporary uh, statement. And Jesus is referencing the fact that he goes to his Father because presently Jesus is lower than the angels. Philippians 2, right? Jesus left heaven and he lowered himself and he came and he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus lowered himself and he's speaking in just the present tense in that I'm going to my father because at the present time, my father is greater than I and he's being beckoned to go back to be with his father. And there he would receive his glory that he had set aside and he would have his full reign um, as in the present moment, he was under trial and temptation and stress and test and so on. So some see it as a, a temporary reference to his human existence and before the death of the cross that he would say something like this. Others um, would see it as a part of the Trinity, that there is complete equality within the Trinity, but they would describe this as submission within the Trinity itself. And they see that the Father and the Son is under the Father and the Spirit is under the Son. Um, that has its own helps and challenges. I'm not um, completely certain about all of that. We certainly know that the Bible elsewhere maintains the equality of Christ with his Father. So um, whichever way we would understand it, A or B, we would certainly maintain that Jesus is God of gods and the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily as the scripture witnesses. So in verse 29, he prophesies. He says, I've told you before it comes to pass that when it has come to pass, you might believe. Well, he told them about the Holy Spirit. He told them about the peace that he would give. And uh, he laid out all these truths. And then when it happened and it was fulfilled, their faith was strengthened. Um, it's very important to remember Jesus is laying out truth so they will know Satan does not have the upper hand. Well, he'll say that in a minute. Jesus is not losing it. Jesus is not dropping the ball here. What's going to develop in these next 24 hours look like the worst, but Jesus lays out all this truth to show them, I'm in charge, everything's on schedule, you just listen, believe, follow, and all will be clear in time. Such a great word for us today as well. Verse 30, from now on I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. Do we remember who the prince of the world is? Satan. 
Where was Satan at this moment? Satan had indwelled Judas Iscariot. And so Satan and Judas together in their evil were working against the Lord. And he says, the prince of this world comes. Judas had gone to the chief priests. He had left that room with the disciples. He had gone to the chief priests and probably at this very moment was conversing with them saying, I know where he is. I can't prove this, but I wonder if Judas led them to the first led them to uh, the, the upper room <laughs> and they had already left, you know? I, I don't know if that's how it happened, but I wonder because, you know, they did leave the upper room and I don't know that Jesus said, all right, phase one will be here and phase two will go over there. Like Judas may have not known where they were. And so Judas goes to the high priest and Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming. What does this show us? Jesus is not caught flat-footed. He is not ignorant of what is happening. He knows precisely what is happening. The prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. He has no advantage. He has no hook. He has no trick on me. There's no way he has an advantage against me. He has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. In other words, what's going to happen here is not the work of Satan. This is me obeying the commandment of God. And I want the whole world to know that I love my Father and I will obey Him and He has given commandment and I will do it. Such a beautiful ending to this section. Jesus just clearly staking, Satan's coming, I'm moving, we're moving forward here, but there is no accident there is no mistake here. I obey my Father, and I want the whole world to know that I love and obey the Father. Then he says, arise, let us go from here. Next week, I plan to show a map, and I could have shown it this week, but I think it's more pertinent for next week. They say, arise, let us go from here. They leave the, um, the upper room, and a lot of the text, I believe, of chapter 15 and 16 is spoken between the upper room and the garden. And so we'll look at a map of Jerusalem. We'll talk about where they may have seen some vines because he says, my father is the true vine. And um, so that, that kind of helps us understand chapter 13 and 14, the washing of the feet, the departure of Judas. Obviously, all that was in the upper room. But then he says, arise, let us go hence. Chapter 15, chapter 16 they, all those words, I believe, are spoken outside of the upper room, but before they reach the garden itself. Um, we're marching with Jesus, we're walking with Jesus as he gets closer and closer to the cross. And today, I think we've seen uh, a word of witness about the peace that Jesus gives. Remember, this is Jesus talking about peace right before he goes to the garden, right before he goes to the cross. And he tells these disciples, I give you my peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, it didn't completely work, did it? Because they were scared and they ran. But guess what? This promise of peace was not just for the moment. It was a permanent peace that was offered them. And you may find yourself in your own life where you say, boy, I really blew it in that stage of life. Or I just, 2023, I just, I, didn't, I wasn't living in peace. I let my heart be troubled and afraid so often. Well, that was 2023, but guess what? God's gift of peace is still extended out to you. It's still yours. It's still available, and we can have peace at any moment because we have Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer today. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that has been given. I pray and I ask, Lord, 
that we will be a people that live and walk in your peace. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Thank you for living within us. And I pray that this year, that if it is a year of blessing and, and ease, a year of great forward progress, that we will just rejoice and give you glory. But if it be a year of challenge or of suffering or in some way uh, a great trial would come, may we remember that we have peace with God. And there's never a moment that our heart has to be troubled. Our heart never has to be afraid because we have you and we have your peace. Teach us how to live in this peace. Teach us how to use this gift that you've given us. And I ask that we will be stalwart and steady, that we'll be firmly resolved upon that which you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.